HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is being brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, believers in good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. My name is Hannah Forden. I'm the membership coordinator at Heritage Radio Network, but even before I joined the team, I loved listening to HRN during my subway commute. It made the time go quickly and left me feeling inspired for the day ahead. HRN listeners tune in from all over the world, but there are a few traits that we all have in common, no matter where we listen from. A curious palate, the fierceness to make a difference, and a hunger for lifelong learning about the culinary world. As you know, Heritage Radio Network is a listener-supported nonprofit. To deliver the most ambitious, entertaining, and of-the-moment stories in 2018, we need your help. We need to raise $150,000 by December 31st to accomplish these goals and to keep your favorite shows on the air. Together, we can make this HRN's most exciting, impactful, and delicious year yet. No matter how much you choose to give, you'll feel awesome next time you tune in, knowing that we wouldn't be here without you. Become a member by donating today. Join us at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate, and you'll immediately start enjoying benefits such as VIP invitations to HRN events, where you will mix and mingle with your favorite hosts. Plus, we have great member swag. Show off your HRN pride with a t-shirt or keep your hands safe in the kitchen with an HRN potholder. Memberships also make a perfect holiday gift for all the foodies in your life. This year, why not give the gift of food radio? You'll hear your generosity in action for the year to come. Help keep our lights on and our mics hot by pledging your support today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, a food writer and a director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deeper understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every daily in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? 
We hear dashi ramen izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, so I'll try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And my guest today is Katsura Sunshine, who is a rakugoka, or traditional Japanese comic story storyteller. And Sunshine is a Slovenian Canadian and a former playwright, and eventually became a successful a traditional rakugoka in Japan. So today we'll talk about Sunshine's fascinating experience in becoming a rakugoka in Japan and his experience with Japanese food, how he communicates jokes in a foreign language, and much, much more. And we won't be fully focusing on Japanese food in today's episode, but I guarantee you'll get in a deep insight into Japanese culture.、Uh, but before we start, Japanese is available on Heritage Radio Network net website as well as、um, iTunes and Stitcher as a podcast. And please go to iTunes and Stitcher and subscribe to Japanese and write a review. We appreciate your feedback. Also, if you have any ideas about topics of the show or show guests, please let us know. And you can email us at japanese at heritageradionetwork.org or kikokadema.com. Now, let's start a conversation with Katsura Sunshine. Hello, Katsura Sunshine. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to Japanese. <laughs> Thank you very much. So,、uh, so first of all,、uh, what is Rakugo, which、uh, spells L A K U G O? And I don't think、uh, most of our listeners know what Rakugo is. Sure, Rakugo is a 400 year old tradition. Of comic storytelling in Japan. And it's a lone storyteller who wears a kimono, kneels on a cushion, and with only a simple fan and hand towel for props,、uh, makes up a story in the imagination of the audience.、Mm. And the stories have been passed down from master to apprentice, master to apprentice for 400 years throughout、wow. the ages up to the present day. Mm. So, the history started in the、uh, Edo period? In the Edo period, right.、Mm. So, do you know how, how it started? Just,、uh... The stories actually originated as little anecdotes that、um, Buddhist monks would put into their sermons. And so, <laughs> a lot of people thought that the, maybe the, if, the, if, the, if the sermon was getting bore, a little bit boring, then the Buddhist monk would put a little funny story in <laughs> and entertain and make the people laugh, and then they would listen to the sermon. Mm. Uh, for the next 10 or 15 minutes. And then when he felt they needed another story, they, he, he, he would throw in the stories. Now, the interesting thing is that I don't think the stories necessarily had anything to do with the message of the sermons. So when you watch Rakugo, it's not like a lot of traditional stories, maybe in Western culture, where there's a lesson to be learned and it's a pedagogical or teaching story.、Mm. Um, even I think in the Brothers Grimm, the stories that they collected, there's some lesson in there.、Mm. Whereas the Rakugo stories, there's not a specific lesson in the stories. And I think that stems from the end, even the anecdotes when the Buddhist monks were putting them in. I think they just wanted to be entertaining. It's a break from a lesson,、mm. um, which is an interesting pattern. Because even I think with Christian, I know, grew up, grow, growing up Catholic, Some of the, a lot,、uh, every, every Sunday, the priest would, would tell a little funny joke, but it would be in the theme of his lesson for the day.、Mm-hmm. But the Rakugo stories, I think, I think this is、mm-hmm. just me talking, so I might be wrong, but I think really didn't have too much to do with the, with the lesson. They were just, they were just funny stories.、Mm-hmm. Right. So when I grew up, like, you know, my, my dad was watching Rakugo,、yeah. and I was like, I was not particularly interested.、Yeah. But then, Why not? You know, but you know, it's, it's right there. And yeah, then yeah. that's like a person, it's, there's no theatrical or anything, just a guy sitting on, on the mat. Oh, yeah, that's right. And that's talking. Right. And then,、yeah. but then I listen, I just laugh. 
Yeah, yeah. Like really, like. At some point, you 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 enter the world that the rakugo mm. storyteller, the rakugo ka, mm-hmm. is creating, and that's that's a fun moment. Yes. Yeah, that's interesting. That I even don't know why I'm laughing, but I think it's like there's something universally funny. So absolutely. Yeah, you can just absolutely. have a fun break from your life. That kind yep. of thing. Yep. And I, I'm glad. I'm really glad you said the word universal because a lot of my seniors in the rakugo world and a lot of Japanese people in Japan say, "Hey, you're doing rakugo in London. You're doing rakugo in in New York. Do people understand rakugo?" And I say, "Well, number one, I translate it into English, mm. uh, so they understand on that level. Right. <laughs> but even then, they say, 'Yeah, but rakugo has very specific Japanese culture.' And it's true. The rakugo stories contain very Interesting and a lot of times very deep aspects of, of Japanese culture and Japanese personal interactions and, and the Edo period or the Meiji period or whenever the story is set. Mm. But the fascinating thing about Rago is you don't have to understand that culture to laugh. Mm. The, the laughter comes from basically human relations a, a husband arguing with his wife, a thief <laughs> who can never manage to steal anything, and then the owner of the house comes home and he tries to talk his way out of it and becomes friends with the owner and drinks wine with him at the end of the, at the, end of the day or something. So even if you don't picture when the thief comes into the house, he opens a furoshiki cloth, which is a special kind of traditional Japanese cloth, and he starts putting kimonos in and ties it up. You might not understand all those actions, but anybody can tell by looking at the story, watching the storyteller, oh, this is a thief. He's stealing things. You can tell because he's nervous. You can tell because he's saying things like, I hope the owner of the house doesn't come home, right? Mm. And then when he comes home, the interaction between the owner of the house who's caught him and uh, and the thief is very funny. So you don't have to understand what a furoshiki cloth is mm. or what a kimono looks like or why you fold a kimono. You understand those things and maybe the picture becomes a little bit more of a full picture in your mind. Mm. But the laughter doesn't come from those parts of Rakugo. Rakugo is really kind of universal. Mm. Maybe for your listeners, I should do a very, very short Rakugo story. Do you... Yeah, Would you like yeah, to hear one? Sure, of course. So this is my favorite story. Okay. It's it's a very famous old story. It's about a boy with a very long name. Okay. His name was Jugemu Jugemu Goko no Surikiri Kai Jari Suigyo no Singyo Matsu Ungyo Matsu Furai Matsu Kuneru Tokoro ni Sumu Tokoro Yabura Koji Bura Koji Pai Po Pai Po Pai Po no Shuringa Shuringa no Gurindai Gurindai no Pompoko Pi no Pompoko Na no Chokyume no Chosuke. It was a very long name. Mm-hmm. One day, his neighbor, Kinchan came to pick him up for school. And Kinchan said, Jugemu, Jugemu, Goko no Surikiri, Kaijari, Suigyo no Singyematsu, Ingyematsu, Huraimatsu, Kuneru, Tokoro, Nisumu, Tokoro, Yabura, Koji, Bura, Koji, Pai, Popai, Popai, Pono, Shuringa, Shuringa, No, Gurinda, Gurinda, No, Pompokopi, No, Pompokona, No, Chokyume, No, Let's go to school. <laughs> and Jugim's mother came out and said, Adama Kinchan, you're so nice, but our Jugim, Jugim, go on to the city, and I'm going to sing about 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 the city, and I'm going is still sleeping. Wait here, wait here, I'll wake him up. Hey, hey, Jugim, Jugim, go on to the city, and I'm going to sing about the city, and I'm going to sing about the city, and I'm going to sing Ma'am, his name was so long. School for today is already finished. <laughs> That's Rakugo. That's Rakugo. <laughs> In two minutes now, everybody understands what Rakugo is. It's a story with a punchline. And actually, Rakugo comes from the Japanese word uh, uh, ochi and uh, uh, and uh, like kotoba story right mm. so it's um a story it's a story it's a falling word it means falling word and falling word in japanese is the same thing as saying punchline so mm. it's a story with a punchline right and 
I think、uh, you know it's just am- amazing that when you were talking, I was imagining the situation. Right, right. I just like listening to you. Right. <laughs> right, you, your background is that.、Uh, uh, Playwright, yes, yes, yes. all the big theaters, music, and costumes, and things exactly. like that. Exactly, but it doesn't have anything like that. It doesn't. It's it's a very very minimalistic and very simple art form. We don't even have we don't even turn off the lights for the audience in the theater, right? There's no lighting. There's no choreography. There's no music. None of that. That's what actually made me fall in love with Rakugo at the, at the beginning because I was writing musicals. So you、mm-hmm. need the choreographer, the, the director, the lighting designer, sound designer, etc. All of that.、Mm-hmm. And Rakuoka alone in a kimono was doing the same job as what we would do with a musical with 50 people. He was doing alone and,、uh, and just using the imaginations of the audience, having the same effect. It was amazing.、Mm, right. And then I think that's the reason I was laughing when I was a little kid. It was like、yeah. really drawn into the story.、Yep. And I think I'm, I'm sure that has my, his own imagination. I had my own imagination, but、yep. then the laughing point is the same. But the laughing point is the same, same. yeah.、So. yeah. And that's another thing, Rakugo is wonderful as a comedic art form because you can laugh at the same thing if you're nine or 49 or 99. <laughs> and almost, every, almost 100% of the shows that we do in Japan. Uh, there's some children. People come as a family.、Uh, a lot of parents like to have、uh, their children listen to Rakugo. And it's a little bit different than stand up comedy. Stand up comedy, you can get a lot of maybe questionable language and,、mm. and themes that children don't really understand or that you wouldn't want children to hear.、Mm. But Rakugo is very innocent in that way. So it's, just, it's, it's very much you can bring the whole family、right. and,、uh, and rest assured that you're not going to be、uh, letting your children hear something that you don't want them to hear. And, and in actual fact, just the opposite. They're going to get a taste of traditional、mm. Japanese culture as they laugh their heads off. Right. So、uh, we'll talk about where you perform later, but、uh, you,、yeah. you do Rakugo in, Japan, in Japanese. In Japanese, yep. And abroad in English. In English, yep.、Right. Awesome. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> <laughs> so,、uh, so let's talk about who you are. So, you, you're from、uh, Canada. From Canada. And then,、yeah. what was your li- life was like before the world of Rakugo? Yeah,、Can't、it、see? was cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, was,、uh, I was very interested in, in classics, in Latin and Greek, and I studied that in university and then started my, my first musicals. Were based on Greek comedies、mm-hmm. by Aristophanes. And I had, a, I had one hit show in my life.、Mm-hmm. I was 23, 24 years old, and I produced a musical version of Aristophanes' Clouds.、Um, and it ran in, in the Poor Alex Theater in Toronto for 15 months. Wow.、Yeah. My, that was the peak of my life. <laughs> Everything's think- been going downhill <laughs> since there. <laughs> let's,、uh, let's see how it's going, going down now. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So,、uh, yeah, but you know, you at the peak, and then you decided to do something more. And then I, I heard you went to Japan, right? I did. And actually, that it was very related. There was, a, there was a scholar who wrote in a scholarly journal about Aristophanes and about Greek comedy and Greek tragedy that these art forms, even though it's 2,500 years ago, these art forms have a lot of coincidental similarities to. Japanese no and kabuki.、Mm. And so I thought, you know, because Greek, Greek theater died. And so now we only know what Greek theater looked like from evidence of like archaeological evidence, right? From pictures on a pot or something like that.、Mm. Oh, maybe that's a, a theater costume or something, right? But、um, no and kabuki are much more recent compared to that.、Mm. They started in the Edo period、uh, and they've been 
performed continuously mm-hmm. since they were since their inception. So you can, if you go to kabuki today, you can see the same kabuki pretty well, mm. the Only same way. Four hundred years. Four hundred years ago, right. right? So this really fascinated me. I wanted to. So I basically went to Japan eighteen years ago to see kabuki, and I thought I would come back to Canada right away. Mm. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> you never know what could happen <laughs> in <Right>. your life. <laughs> so what happened? Well, I I think it was my third day in Japan where I just thought I'm never going back to Canada for uh, as a permanent wow. basis. I just fell in love with Japan. Actually, I think what struck me most about Japan is that I was I was in Tokyo. So I mean, maybe if you go into the countryside, it's a bit, bit different. But if you're in Tokyo, it is not modern. It is futuristic. You go from Canada to Tokyo. I don't know about New York. New York is, is pretty yeah, futuristic Toronto, as well, right? right? From Toronto, mm. you go to New, you go to Tokyo and you see like the neon and Shinjuku <laughs> and Ginza and just the the crazy modernness of it all. Mm. And it, like when I went, I'd never seen a cell phone. Now everybody had one, and they were tinier. They were like about a third of the size of the ones some people had in Canada, and, that, and just it was. Nuts, nuts. Like, if I could imagine <laughs> 50 years into the future, it would look like Tokyo now is what I thought. Mm. And But at the same time... What was time, the year that you went? With? That's 18 years ago. So it was in 1999. Mm. But at the same time, you're walking down the streets in like Shinjuku or in Tokyo, and among all the neon and the modernness, you have like flower arrangements in the display window. <laughs> and the the lady of the shop is wearing a kimono and... The signs are written in Shodo, which is the Japanese calligraphy. And everywhere, Japanese tradition is still alive. And it's not like tradition is battling modernity. Mm. Japan has uh, uh, had a fascinating way for me, I thought, of just everybody takes modernity for granted and everybody takes um, tradition for granted. Everybody's doing something traditional and not... Out of a, a kind of forced way of like, we have to preserve Japanese tradition. So I am studying shodo, mm. uh, Japanese calligraphy. But it's just people as a normal hobby, just right. because it's fun to dress up a kimono. It's fun to do um, calligraphy or flower arrangement or the pe- 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 people that are the traditional dancing or whatever the tradition that everybody might have. Mm. But, in, but the effect of it is everybody is just naturally preserving Japanese tradition. You could see it everywhere you go, even in the ultra-modern environment of Tokyo. Mm. So this just completely blew me away when I, when I got to Tokyo. And I thought I, can't, I could live in Tokyo for 150 years and never really understand it. That's why mm. uh, I stayed. Interesting. So I think, you know, like the Japanese school system, yeah. you know, after school program, it's called the Bukatsu. Bukatsu, yeah. And then like cultural um, department, they have yeah. like a from arrangement to tea ceremony, sure. those same things. I think it's kind of embedded in Japanese whole culture and the life yeah. in that way too. So, And then when you get older, suddenly you realize, oh, wow, I didn't pay attention to this. But it's like, it's really amazing. It is. Yeah, that kind of thing. It is amazing. And I think, yeah, probably uh, for Japanese people, I'll probably just take it for granted because if you're born Japanese and that's a natural thing. But for coming from Canada, uh, Canada is, is a very young country mm. comparatively. But everybody... Uh, is very strong immigrant culture, right? My parents were not born in Canada; they were born in Slovenia, mm. and 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 all my friends' parents were born in different countries. Right. And I think there's a strong 
a strong um, impetus or a strong desire in, especially in immigrant societies, to hold on to the traditional culture of their own country that they came from, mm. because they're in a new place and they want to hang on to that identity. So there was a lot of like when I was young, there's a lot of like, okay, I better play accordion <laughs> to preserve the Slovenian culture and do Slovenian dancing or sing in a Slovenian choir and that kind of thing. And so that, I think that's why, and that's fine. And that was also fun, but it was it was more forced. Mm. And not like someone forced me, but something like I have to make a conscious effort to preserve my culture mm. because my culture is important. But in Japan, it's just like I I was in whatever like university, and I could have chosen the tennis club or the drama club, and I chose the traditional flower arrangement club. Mm. And just like you said, with the bukatsu, the, nice. the clubs, right? you just choose it. It's one of the choices you have. It's like, oh yeah, maybe I'll do that. It's interesting. Mm. But not like, I must do flower arrangement in order to preserve Japanese culture because others are lost to future generations or nothing, nothing like that. It's just naturally doing it, right? Mm. So that's what, I love that about Japan, yeah. Mm, interesting. From the beginning. Right, because it's the, you know, the country closed... Uh, themselves itself for 200 years yeah. long time ago it's like in island and then there's a sense of security in a way yep to you know our culture is not shaky it's yeah. there yeah, and it's, it's going to be there forever it's there so. it's solid mm-hmm. and it's it's unforced and it's it's natural and it and it doesn't it doesn't feel threatened mm. by outside forces. Okay, you close the country and then you open it up again. I'm not saying you did it. <laughs> I, mean, I tried. <laughs> but, sir, Japan was closed and then it opened, but, you know, Japanese has, for instance, so many loan words from English and they use J- Chinese characters as kanji and J- Japan is always taking things from all over the place, but then they make, they make it specifically Japanese, right? right? I love eating Italian food in Japan. Japanese Italian Japanese chefs of Italian food are, I think, as good as in Italy. I've never been to Italy before, but my Italian friends say the same thing. It's right just amazing, <laughs> right? But but on the traditional Italian menu in Japan, you also have like mentaiko kadro pasta with a little bit of seaweed on the top, right? right? Which is a specifically, I don't think they do that in like Rome or right. or Sicily, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's a specifically Japanese one. So in Japan, I think they have very... Uh, uh, flexible spirits and flex- flexible minds in that way. It's like, okay, well, if we like something from another country, that's good, but we're going to make it Japanese, mm. <laughs> right? Right, and I think uh, kind of obsessive commitment to perfection. Commitment to perfection, yeah. yeah. What do you say in, in Japanese? Kiwameru, mm. which just take take perfection to the to final degree and just mm. concentrate on this and be perfect at it. Yeah, that's wonderful. Right. So I'm glad you like Japan so much, I and. Um, you know, community of Rakugo, yeah. by the same token, is very traditional. Very traditional world, yeah. Right. So, how did you get into, you know, you know, meet your master, uh, Katsura Bunshi san? Yeah. So, my master is very famous. He's been a famous television celebrity in in, uh, in Japan as well as a famous storyteller. And uh, I wanted to become a Rakugo storyteller, professional, and uh, just not just to learn the stories, but in order to become a professional storyteller. It's very strict. You have to have a three-year apprenticeship under a master. You have no days off. You go to your master's house, do the laundry, do the cleaning, carry his bags, set up his dressing room, etc. And um, and there's rules: no drinking, right? No smoking. I didn't wow. smoke anyway. Right? No going on dates. No no going out drinking. Right? Nothing. Yeah, it's very you, because your master might call you at one o'clock and say, "Come over, I can't find my glasses," and you have to go over. And if he <laughs> smells alcohol on your breath, you're in big trouble. It's a very, very traditional, uh, like indentured servitude. But at the same time, you're with your master from morning to night, and you're learning 
all day. It's not like you pay some money and take a class for two hours a week. You're, it's a life. It's a life. It's a lifestyle, mm. and it's amazing. So I say it sounds sounds you know very like a very uh, mm. depressing three years, but actually what you learn in that three years cannot be replaced. Mm. Yeah. So I found. When I first saw my master, he, he, instead of doing traditional stories, my master writes his own stories. And the first time I heard him perver- perform his original stories, I just thought, I have to do these stories in English someday wow. <laughs> in New York. <laughs> I mean, but at the time, I thought in Canada. If I translate these directly and perform them in Canada, people would find them hilarious. Mm. So I thought, I found my man. I really want to. I, I, I'm, just, I'm dying to be... Right. To so, clean his house for three years. <laughs> so you went to study Noan Kabuki and then ended up watching yeah. Bakugo. Yeah. And as you clicked. So he clicked found your yeah. master now. Yeah. And then... So I found him and I, I asked him uh, to become his apprentice. The thing is, when I, when I asked him, there was no uh, foreign apprentices. I, the, only, the only Rakugo storytellers, professionals, were Japanese. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not the first in Japanese history. Oh. I'm actually the second. 100 years ago, there was an Australian gentleman named Henry Black, and he became Kairakute Braku, <laughs> and became the first ever non-Japanese, like Western, uh, Rakugoka. Wow. And so I'm, I'm the second. It took 100 years, but right. then I came along. <laughs> but now I'm not the only one. There are, just last year, for 10 years I was the only foreigner, but uh, just last year, a Swedish guy and another Canadian guy joined so they're in their apprenticeship now ah so you inspired them i think um i don't know i think more than inspired them i think they looked at me and said if that guy can do it then anybody can do it so can i (laughs) (laughs) so but what you did is amazing so you know you convinced uh katsura sanki-san now your master my master bunshi bunshi yeah sorry that bunshi so so katsura bunshi-san so it took, I heard it took eight months to become his apprentice. It took eight months. Uh, that's not uh, so abnormal. It's called a minarai. It's mm-hmm. before you become an official apprentice where, you know, you are going to be with this person every day for three years. Right. So some masters give it a little time. You can come on a casual basis. Just come when you want. Come when you can. Learn and you get to know each other. And then the master takes that time. And then one day you'll say, okay, if you want to become an apprentice, you can. Mm. So, yeah, it took me about eight months where I just went to see his... He was he was doing a very famous television show called Shinkonsan Irashai, mm. which means newlyweds welcome. Mm. And uh, so I went to that. I went to that, and I went to his Rakugo shows for about eight months. And finally, he he said, "Okay, if you're if you're serious, uh, you can join." Mm. Uh, that was a very happy day in my life because I was waiting for his answer. Right. So you were working, and then it's whenever you found time, you just tried to see him. Yeah, I was. I mean, I was studying at the time. I was. I was doing graduate school at the Osaka mm. University of Arts, anyway. And so, and mm. my professor was very keen that I would become an actual professional wow. uh, storyteller. So mm. he just let me off whenever I needed to to awesome. go. So yeah, it was. It was good. It was a very good eight months as well. But mm. the day he said, "Okay, join," that was really because I, not just because I was a foreigner. So he might decide, you know, I don't. I don't suit the world. But also, I was. 38 years old which is a little bit old to become to, to be starting your apprenticeship mm. but but he took me and so mm. now i'm here so but you were able to speak uh japanese as good as now you have perfect japanese no, was, uh, not perfect no 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 <laughs> i am very <laughs> not perfect uh at the time it was okay i i guess when i started when i first saw rakugo i'd been in japan for five years mm. and so i could kind of understand the rakugo stories when i joined 
my master as an apprentice. It was eight, it was three years later, so it was eight years. Mm. But um, I think where my my Japanese has really improved since I became a rakoka is more in the uh, honorifics, the keigo, the very very polite forms, mm. and that kind of thing. Because uh, you can get uh, you can get by in Japan with just speaking basic polite Japanese. But in the Rahul world, uh, when you address the masters mm. and also when you address uh, when you address your audience, you have to use much more specialized forms of Japanese, and and you and anything less than that is is actually considered quite rude. So <laughs> I had to learn very quickly on that on mm. that point. Yeah, so it's as if you're speaking to Pope. Like Japanese language, t- to me, it's it's a, the pronunciation is easier. It's yeah. like Spanish, you know, five yeah, yeah, vowels. Yeah. But when it comes to Politeness. Yeah, there's different levels of. There's so many politeness. different levels and nuances. Yeah, it's very, very, it's very intricate. Very, but those nuances and those, well, you say in uh, in Japanese, yayakoshi, like the degree of complication of the mm. language and culture, is actually good material for rakugo, mm. both in Japan and abroad. So. Uh, I'll often just in my in my rakugo in the warm up to the stories just explain some point of Japanese culture, mm. and people will be laughing. For instance, if 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 you say to someone if you say someone in New York, oh, you speak good Japanese, I'll say thank you, right? But if I say to a Japanese person, you speak very good English, I say no, 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 please don't say I speak such good. English. You have to deny the compliment, right? Mm. But then the other person has to reiterate the compliment. No, no, you speak very good English, and they have to deny it again. No, 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 please don't <laughs> say very good. No, you speak excellent English. No, 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 excellent. You're putting the hurdle too high. Please stop it. No, 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 no. I think your English is perfect. No, no, no. It's endless sometimes. Mm. It's just like you know, finish your phone in this country. Yeah. Like boom, done. Yeah, done. But then it's like. どうも。どうも。ということで、またよろしくお願いします。お忙しい中、あの、ごめんわ、ここ書き足しまして大変申し訳ございませんでした。いや、すごい、like yes. yeah. finish is is longer than the actual conversation was. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. I have to wait like hang up first yeah, yeah. to second. That's another, you know, who is more respected kind yeah, of. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. But I've, I've seen people and I've done it myself. You're on the phone and you're still bowing. Yeah. <laughs> they can't see you, but you still bow. It's be, it basically becomes part of your whole body and your whole being, the, right. the, the polite behavior. Mm. Actually, I, my friend who's a banker, Japanese banker, uh, he said when he, when he entered his first bank uh, job, his boss said, when you're talking to an important customer on the, form, on the phone, make sure you bow. Because they might not be able to see you, but they can feel the bow through the phone. Mm. He was, that was his instructions. That is very true. Yeah, but I believe it, yeah. Mm. I believe it. Now I believe it. At the time, I thought, come on! <laughs> but now I, I understand. <laughs> right. Okay. So, because this is Japanese, I want to ask you some questions about your food experience. Food experience. So, Maybe may my most important experience in Japan. <laughs> so, <laughs> what was your first impression? Like, did you have any problems at the beginning? No. No problems. Not at all. Mm. Which is fermented soybeans were a bit problematic for me at, at first, but even there's a lot of Japanese people that don't even like natto, especially when you go into the Osaka area mm-hmm. of Japan. Uh, that's a very pinpoint one little right. spot. But no, I love Japanese food. I guess my first impression was how how good sushi you could buy for lunch for how little money. Because sushi was very popular in Toronto at the time already, but it's expensive mm. and it, it was okay. Uh, and I think it's gotten a lot better in the West. But at the time, it was okay. I really liked sushi, but, you know, you had to pay a lot of money. But you, if I, if you just pay 1,000 yen mm-hmm. for a lunch set at an okay sushi shop, the 
the freshness of the fish and how good it was and how the, the level was just like just blew. I ate I ate sushi every single day for a year when I got there. Oh my god! And now I only have it about once a year because I think I ate one lifetime's worth of sushi <laughs> in my first year. But I just loved it. I loved it. Mm. Yeah, I think on average, even Japanese people eat sushi a couple times a month, maybe. Exactly. It's not. A, it's not a. It's not a hugely common. It's common to have sushi shops all over the place, but nobody's eating it every day. Mm. It's not a staple. But for some reason, that's the that was the first hit, right? right. In the West, mm-hmm. with sushi. Right. Right? But, and, and I guess the other thing that's, that surprised me very much when I went to Japan, because my image of Japanese food was sushi, and also the sushi shop where the waitress is wearing a kimono, and she's very <laughs> quiet and saying, oh, thank you very much for coming to, and here are your chopsticks and something. So my image of Japanese culture was very, like, quiet and refined, mm. and everything's dainty and beautiful, and that kind of thing, right? Right. So... Which part of Japanese culture is certainly like that, but it doesn't tell the whole story, which is mm. what I was very shocked about when I went to Japan also. I only had part of the story for everything, right? But for this, like, then I walked into a yakitori shop, which is the chicken skewers, mm-hmm. and the owner is a husband and wife who are maybe 60 or 70 years old, and then they have maybe their, their son and their daughter are working there, and there's maybe 10 people sitting at the counter, and maybe one table of four people, and that's the whole shop, mm-hmm. and... And it's a really small room. And yet when you walk in, they say, Hiroshimasa! As if they're trying to shout it to the end of the other end of Tokyo. And then you sit down and the, the Japanese person beside you becomes your friend within a minute. And you say cheers and you order a beer and they'll say, Namaicho! And the whole raucousness and fun side of Japanese culture was something that I didn't get in Toronto at the time. They may have restaurants like that now. I think izakaya is uh, is already becoming like a, an English word, right? Mm-hmm. And some of my Toronto friends say, let's go to the izakaya tonight. So they know that. And that wasn't the case when I left Toronto. Mm. So it's different now, but at the time, the, to find these really, really fun aspects of Japanese culture, really loud, raucous, friendly, nice. a little bit crazy, well, that, that to me was great. Right. And it's still plenty. Like when I was traveling last year in Japan, I went to one of the places in Takayama, and I'm yeah. so good at finding local places. Somehow, I, I can That's smell it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and it's yeah. like, oh, step in. There's a master, and the yeah. local only local people eating. And yeah, then yeah, yeah. You are part of it. You're part usually. of it immediately. You're part of it immediately. And as soon as I see, as soon as I see you, if you're not local, and you say, "Oh, I came from New York," oh my God, you could probably <laughs> drink and eat for free for crying out loud. People are so they're interested in other people. They come there for the social part of it, right? right. So this is very different from the. From the sushi shop where they close the sliding door, and so you have your own private table. I mean, that's okay, but when I go to a restaurant, I it's like I want to mm. experience the environment and all that, and right. that's more of who I am. So I, when I got to Japan and started to see the fun part of Japan, that was uh, that was what hooked me. Mm. And Rakugo, I think, stemmed from that. I think the Edo period. I think Edo. Uh, my imagination is Edo, Tokyo was just like one huge yakitoria right. with just people. The the, the just out for fun, mm-hmm. right? Because I think uh, it's kind of that was the first um, biggest cultural era for Japanese public. For the public, right, 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 right. The, right. The Tokyo not has, for the elite, but for everyone, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, like all those uh, sushi, you know, outside counter, like all yeah, like yeah, trucks yeah. and the, I heard the tempura trucks, those, those things. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. Because everybody's equally treated and enjoying the culture and enjoying so. the culture yeah yes yeah, so and there were things that people like it's just just little things like uh okay everybody wore a kimono but then in order to put the kimono a pouch in your kimono or to hold the tobacco pouch and the 
the kiseru, which is the traditional uh, Japanese pipe, mm-hmm. you, they had a little knob that you attached to the string so you could put in your obi. Obi belt, right? But this knob, it, they just thought, okay, it'd be more interesting if you carved it. And so it became a little sculpture mm. of something. And then people got into fancier and fancier sculptures, which became the cu- culture of netsuke, which I think a lot of the listeners maybe even know that word, netsuke. And after the Edo period, people start, stopped using netsuke. In Japan, people didn't care about them anymore. But these are now hugely valuable in Europe. And, mm. and they're, they're great artistic value. But the, in the Edo period... I think that I think that even nor, just normal regular people had the luxury of of paying attention to detail in that way. Right. Where okay, I'm not just going to have a little knob or a button when mm. I could carve it and make it look like something interesting. And maybe like uh, Japanese people love engi no imono, mm-hmm. uh, something that's uh, maybe uh, auspicious or fortunate, uh, a lucky charm or something like that. And mm. just. That's like one point. That's how to hang a tobacco pouch from your obi belt is that they go through right. this much effort. Yeah, they, they like uh, the, the word iki, you know, iki, cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's like an Edo guy's cultural icon. Edo culture, yeah. Uh, iki and shibusa, right? Mm. These, they're tough, they're tough to translate into English, these words. Even if you say cool, iki, it's cool, but cool is also a very tough Right, some more word. layers. In, There's so many more layers to iki, but it's... Cool in uh, not in a, not in an ostentatious fashion, right. but more in a, in a subdued fashion, right? Right, exactly. And that shibuya also comes with that. So, mm. so like the little netsuke I was talking about, you'd have to look pretty hard to notice the sculpture. Right. But if someone's really observant, then they say, "Oh, oh, your little sculpture is this, and this means this, and this, and this." I see, and that's why you matched it with the pattern on this obi belt. Ha, ikiana, mm. right? <laughs> Yeah, That's the exactly. conversation I can imagine them having right. in the Edo period. It still, still happens now mm. in Japan, certainly yes. in the Rakugo world. Exactly. Wow. You're oh. doing a key thing. <laughs> ah, thank you very much. <laughs> okay. So let's take a quick break here. And okay. uh, when we come back, uh, we'll talk about Sunshine's new theater performance in New York City. So please stay with us. I'm Michael Harlan Turkel, host of The Food Scene and Modernist Breadcrumbs on Heritage Radio Network. I'm here at Bob's Red Mill to find out from Bob himself, why his products taste so good. So what's the secret, Bob? To make the best whole grain flour, we look back in time. No modern technology can match the old world engineering of a stone mill. Wow. Bob's Red Mill is using stone mills? How old are we talking here? Well, the stone mills are practically as old as mankind, and no matter what civilization they uncover, they find two stones that people were rubbing together to make uh, something they could eat, whole wheat flour. But the stones that we use are quarried near Paris, France, in La Ferte, and it's the same stone material from the same quarry that the uh, Romans used to make stone mills all over the Roman Empire, of which you can testify by looking at at uh, Pompeii. It's a quartz material. It has a uniqueness about it. It's very hard. It has a certain porosity. And they put the stones together in a unit of 20 pieces and band it so that they use only the best and, and sharpest parts. It's an ingenious thing, but very old. I mean, thousands of years old. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Those sound like some really special stones. How do they work? Stones turning either the top or the bottom stone, turning at 100 to 125 revolutions per minute, produce a lovely 
three, four, up to 500 pounds. Depends on the, how, how soft the grain is. The bottom stone is the bedstone, and it's also called the nether stone in the Bible. But it also now turns for some configurations. Would you say that using stone mills lead to healthier grains? I know they do. I can watch it. I showed you. You know it as well as I do. Uh, the grain goes in the top, goes through the stones, and it comes out. We don't lose anything, and we don't add anything. Thanks for sharing the story of how Bob's Red Mill is using ancient technology to keep their products on the cutting edge. Michael, we think that we can make a difference by sticking by the traditional way of stone milling whole grain, and that's what we're doing. You can learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. Welcome back. Uh, you're listening to Japan Needs, uh, broadcast live from studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Tema, and my guest today is Katsura Sunshine, who is a rakuoka, or traditional Japanese comic storyteller. Um, so you finished your uh, apprenticeship in yep. 2011. Yeah. Right? And how did your master determine that you had completed the apprenticeship? In other words, uh, what were the criteria for mastery of rakugo? Um, the... Actually, that's an interesting question because there's no test. There's no, you have to do this and you can't complete. It's basically just time. Mm. So master, at one point, around three years or four years into your apprenticeship, the master will turn to you and say, I don't need you starting tomorrow. Mm. And that's it. Wow. There's no graduation party. There's no present. It's just, okay, you're done. Wow. So you don't know why he gave you that okay? There's no real reason. I don't think he, maybe, I don't think he even thinks about it. It's mm. just... It's time. Okay. Yeah. Well, actually, I I read uh, one of the interviews uh, of yours. You know, yeah. your background, everything, and then you mentioned the word kukiyomi. Kukiyomi, yeah. Mm, maybe you can just explain. I thought you mastered that kukiyomi. That's why you graduated. So what is? No, I did not. I came nowhere near mastering it. <laughs> and if my master was waiting for me to master kukiyomi, mm. I'd okay. still be an apprenticeship now. Okay, well, so kukiyomi. We should explain it, right? right? It means it means in English, read the wind, mm. which means something like read the other person's spirit mm-hmm. or read their. Minds, mm. or basically guess what they're thinking. Right. So, and then by thinking, understanding somebody else's feeling, yeah. you can act properly. This is the thing in in Japan. Uh, very much of personal interactions are about trying to uh, accommodate and please the other person, your guest, or the person you're talking to, or. Um, and so, so there's kukyoyomu. So read the read the atmosphere of their of what they might want or might need, and try to attend to their needs. Mm. But and there's there's a there's a whole set of these particular Japanese words that goes along with that. You know, we're talking about how rokugo is reflecting Japanese culture. Yeah. So I think that's uh, the kind of thing you have to read the air kukyoyomu. That's the thing in, in the meeting or whatever in the office. Absolutely. Or? Yeah, in the office, in a meeting, in personal interactions. You read the atmosphere and you act accordingly. And also, and of course, in your case, stage, audience. Exactly, exactly. That's what we're taught to do during the apprenticeship. We're told to read the atmosphere of our master. Mm. We spend three years learning how to make his life easier. Mm. But the thinking is, if you can read the atmosphere of the master 
perfectly, then when you go on stage, you'll be able to read the atmosphere of the audience and become a good performer. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like beautiful talk, but I actually believe it 100%. Having gone through that apprenticeship, not mastering Kukyoyomu by any stretch of the imagination, mm -hmm. but trying my best, certainly on stage, that's everything. When we're performing, we're, we've always got eyes and ears on the audience to try to... Uh, I, I say I call it a lot like surfing to try to catch the wave of this particular audience so mm. that you can go together in the best way possible through, ah. through through to the end of the performance. Fascinating. Mm. Okay. So, by the way, where do you perform now? Actually, uh, now I'll be in the I'll be in the Soho Playhouse for for November. Mm -hmm. uh, it's There's my off Broadway debut. Yep, until the until December third. Okay, so November 18th to December 3rd. November 18th to December 3rd in the Soho Playhouse doing Rakugo for the first, uh, uh, first ever, I think, uh, three-week run of Rakugo in New York. In New York. Yeah, yeah I'm so excited. So it's on uh, 15 Bandam Street, New York, New York. Street, New York, New York, in the middle of Soho. Mm. It's a beautiful little theater. It should be a Yosei theater, a Japanese mm. Rakugo theater. I'd yeah, love to so turn it the into we one. call <laughs> the Rakugo's theater Yosei, yeah. right? Like yeah. Y-O-S-E. So, and, uh, so, but you've been uh, acting, um, performing in London too. Yep, I just did a ten-show run at the Leicester Square Theatre in London, and that went great. And uh, that was that was my West End debut. <clears throat> and next is uh, off Broadway at the right. Soho Playhouse. Well, you were in London for since two thousand fifteen. I was. I lived in London for two years in order to put together a mm. long-run show okay. in the West End. Wow. And now I've turned my sights to New York, mm. um, and moving to New York. Welcome. Thank you very much. I'm a New Yorker. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> starting <you are>. yesterday. <laughs> and how do you describe, you know, you reading the air yeah. in Japan and London and New York? So how do you compare the audience, like personality? Like, you know, what's a That's a question I often get asked, but I, it's very. I, the personality of today's audience is different than the personality of tomorrow's audience in the very same theater. Because mm. it doesn't go by countries, it goes, it goes, it goes by day and by by situation, by place, really. Mm. So it's hard to say, like, New York audiences are like this, but London audiences are like that. It's, there's, no, there's no Japanese audiences are like this, but mm. uh, audiences of Hong Kong are like that. There's not much of that that you can do, really. For Rakugo, as you said, it's universal humor. Um, so people are really laughing at the, same, at, the same, at the same jokes. The people who are laughing in Japan, the people who are laughing in London, people laughing in New York are laughing at the same funny parts mm -hmm. in the same way. It's fascinating. Like you wouldn't think of a comedic art form being so easily translatable mm -hmm. and to, to, for it to tra 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 traverse cultures in, in such an uh, almost seamless fashion. But it, it's, fa it's fascinating. It's maybe one of the first ones I've ever come up with I mean mm. to try to translate a Shakespearean comedy into another language can't imagine I'm, I can barely understand it in English mm. so because it's kind of a more emotional common theme that yeah. Rakugo always have as a theme and then maybe it's, it's interesting but you said that you know probably every single country there's the same laughing point yeah right? In uh, in terms of that, in terms of very basic human relationships, I think the the humorous points are the same. Yeah. Mm. Wow, that's Rakugo. That's Rakugo for you, yeah. Mm. And you can bring your children. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So the other thing is the interesting thing is I think this is something original about Rakugo is whenever you go to see Rakugo, you're going to hear different stories, and even if you go see the same storyteller, you're going to hear 
different stories from that storyteller. And so in the spirit of that Rakugo tradition, mm -hmm. in the Soho Playhouse, I'm doing 12 shows, but there's different shows depending on the day. We have the traditional Koten Rakugo show, and the, then on a, on a different day, I'm doing my master's story, so mm -hmm. modern Rakugo. And then on one day, I'm doing family Rakugo, so more aimed at children. Mm -hmm. Then I have the adult Rakugo night, which is please don't bring your children on that day only. <laughs> and, uh, and then on one day only, we'll be doing Shinigami, which is called the God of Death. And it's a little bit of a ghost story. Mm, wow. So, yeah, well, congratulations. That's really Thank you exciting. very much. Yeah. And uh, so where can we find more information on your performance? It, my website is www.rakugo.com. L O L, <laughs> laugh out loud. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's so how you can get the L O L. I didn't know either. Six months ago, I was looking for different endings, and I was, you know, rakugo.com was taken, but L O L was available. I thought that is hilarious. Wow. So it's rakugo.laugh out loud. Okay. Which is what you will do if you come see the show. Yeah, so it's L A R A Q U G O L L L L. R A K U G O dot L O L. Okay, great. Uh, so I'll definitely see you there. Great, yeah. The theater. You're coming to opening night, right? Yes. Fantastic. <laughs> and uh, so what's your plan from now on? Long, long one. Well, as I say, I'm, I'm moving to New York. Uh, this, was, this was sort of to uh, get my foot in the door to do this three-week run. But my ultimate goal is to have a hit show off-Broadway, to do the show for one year, two years, three mm. years. What about on-Broadway? <laughs> on-Broadway, maybe, well, sure. If you want to produce the show on-Broadway, that, that'd be great. <laughs> maybe the theaters are a bit big for Rakugo. Rakugo really lends itself to an intimate setting. So mm. Soho Playhouse is wonderful. It's 180 seats. It's perfect for storytelling. Mm. Um, so I think off-Broadway is the perfect atmosphere for Rakugo. Mm. And uh, I'm looking forward to making right. Rakugo part of it. I'm looking forward to making Rakugo into an English word. Mm. So do you write story everything by yourself, right? The traditional stories I do were taught to me by uh, my uh, various masters. Right, but the poor English versions. The English versions, oh, the translations I do myself, yeah. Okay, yep. right. So you know they'll be good. Mm. <laughs> right, so, so the... In New York City, you're going to do more traditional versions? It depends on the day. Okay. Yep. So some traditional, some of my master's modern stories. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say more more on the traditional side, though, uh, plus and minus. Yeah. Great. Okay. Yep. So good luck, and uh, please keep us posted. Cheers, I will. Thank you so much for having me. So thank you for joining us. This was my New York media debut. Yay! <laughs> okay, so listeners, if you'd like to know more about Sunshine's, um, the, uh, the whole thing, it's, uh, there's a website, katsurasunshine.com. It's K-A-T-U-R, uh, I'm not good at this, <laughs> K-A-T-S-U-R-A, <laughs> sunshine.com, one word, katsurasunshine.com. And if you have any questions or comments about the show, or suggestions for guests or topics of the show, please contact us at Japan Needs at Heritage Radio Network.org or Kikotema.com. And Japan Needs is uh, live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at Heritage Radio Network.org and iTunes and Stitcher as a podcast. And today's uh, engineer is David Tadasure. And thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. 
Food Radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.